You're listening to a message from Stonegate Church. For more information about Stonegate and additional audio resources, please visit Stonegate.Church. Well, a few weeks ago, it was Kelly's mom's birthday. And so Kelly uh, got her a plant for her birthday. Now, I can't think of anything I would like to get less than a plant for my birthday. It's literally, it's, it's like happy birthday, here's some responsibility. I don't know why you would do that to a person. That's not me, but uh, that's not the point. The point is uh, a, a plant was purchased and uh, Kelly's mom lives uh, across the state. So she had to package it up and send it off to her. Now, I don't know what this says about the stressfulness of life in the Needham household right now. I just know this. A few days later, uh, we get a knock at the door, and it's the UPS guy, and he has a plant for us. And it's a plant that looks remarkably like a plant that my wife just bought for her mom for her birthday. Did I tell you about that? My wife, who is finding out that I'm telling this story right now, (laughs) sent a plant to her mother and addressed the gift to herself. (laughs) If you're looking for like a shrewd way to get yourself a little something for Christmas, this may be the ticket. You just buy whatever you want and you just address it to you. Isn't that amazing? Now, she ended up keeping the plant. Uh, (laughs) This is amazing. And and then uh, she replaced it for her mom. But the point is this, the gift that she thought was for her mom ended up at the end of the day really being for her. Now, why am I telling you that? Am I still married at this point? I don't know. She's still, okay. Why am I telling you? What does that have to do with the book of Jonah? Well, if you've been tracking with us for any amount of time, uh, you're aware of this. The, the, the sort of great theme that rises to the surface in the book of Jonah uh, has been this, that our God is gracious to his enemies. Our God is a gracious God. God really is what Jonah calls him in chapter four. We haven't got there yet, but this is what Jonah's gonna say about him. He's a, a gracious God, merciful, slow to anger, abounding in steadfast love, relenting of disaster. This is who God is, and we see it on every page of the book of Jonah. He's a gracious God, and the, and the vehicle that's sort of taking this This theme along verse after verse in the book is Jonah's mission, right? The the mission that was given to him in chapter one, reinstituted in chapter three, the mission of arise, go to Nineveh, that great city, and call out against it what I tell you to say, right? It's this, that's the vehicle that's bringing the, the, the gift of God's grace to God's enemies, the Ninevites. That's, that's the movement. So Jonah's got a, a package to deliver. He didn't want to, and then he got eaten by a fish, and now he wants to, right? That's sort of the flow uh, of the book. And what we're seeing here in these last couple chapters, and we're, and we're kind of sort of coming to the end of our series in Jonah, is that the, the very message, the very package that Jonah is being sent to the enemies of God with is, in a very real way, intended by God for Jonah as well. Like, the gift he's sending is, in some ways, his gift to open. Does that make sense? So if you have eyes to see it, this gift is not just for him in the end, but it's gonna be for us too. And so all we're gonna do this morning, it's really simple. The movement's simple. We're gonna look at Jonah's message from two angles. As a gift to Nineveh, and then as a gift to Jonah, and us. 
That, that's the, the movement. So uh, if you got your Bible, get it out. We're in Jonah chapter 3, and we're going to be starting in verse 3. Let me read it for us. It says this. So Jonah arose and went to Nineveh according to the word of the Lord. Now, Nineveh was an exceedingly great city. Three days' journey in breath, Jonah began to go into the city, going a day's journey. Now, stop there. To, to really get the impact of, of what's about to happen, we need to get the right uh, impression of what this moment felt like for Jonah. This was not Jonah goes to Canada. Do you know what I mean? Like, he, he didn't roll up and they hand him a toboggan and a, like a mug full of maple syrup. That's not... That's not where Jonah's going. That's not what this is. This is, this is Jonah goes to Assyria. And, and in this movie, uh, it's a lot crazier. Uh, this is, Assyria is, the best way to put it is that they're, they're a terrorist organization. That, that's what they are. They, they brutalized and they oppressed people and they wanted to take over the world. That's what they were doing. The Assyrian army, I told you guys this a few weeks ago, uh, the Assyrian army would, sorry for this, skin their victims and hang their bodies on posts outside of their city walls to sort of intimidate the nations around them. Their rulers would refer to themselves as the kings of the universe. So not a bastion of humility. These, these are monstrous, violent, aggressive, boastful people. This was not Jonah goes to Canada. This was more like U.S. Secretary of State Jonah holds a press conference at ISIS headquarters. That's more what this would feel like to him. It's terrifying. You see that? And the author leans into this as he's writing because he starts talking about its size. This isn't, Nineveh isn't an unincorporated township, right? It is big and vast. This is, quote, an exceedingly great city. He says, three days journey in breath. It is massive. How is he gonna survive this? That's what you should be feeling. And that's certainly what Jonah's feeling. I mean, can you imagine this guy? He's about to roll up into Nineveh. I mean, what is probably going through his head at this time is I'm likely about to lose my life. This is the end for me, right? That, that's probably what he's feeling, something like that. But he's also probably feeling something else like this as he rolls into the city. He's probably thinking something like, and I hate these guys. I, ha I hate these guys. Remember, the, Jonah is not this docile, submissive guy to the will of God. He had to get eaten by a fish to go to Nineveh, right? So he's doing this because he's paying a vow. He said that in, ver in chapter two. Hey, I made a vow, I'm gonna fulfill it. So he's rolling into the city, but there is no way he's happy about this. He hates these guys. Remember, these are the people who have been oppressing his own nation, taxing his own nation, killing his own nation. These are the people who reside outside of the covenant community of Israel. These are not God's people. Do you see that? These, these aren't, this is not Jonah's tribe. These are not the us's. These are, in every way, the them's. That's who this is. These are the them's. And it's from this place of uh, t terror on the one hand, probably loathing, hatred on the other hand, that the prophet of God, Jonah, opens his mouth and he speaks to them. And what he says is, I think, remarkable because it's really not much. <laughs> uh, look at verse four. Here's his message, the great message he brings to Nineveh. 
Yet 40 days, and Nineveh shall be overthrown. In the Hebrew, this is just five single words. This is the shortest recorded sermon in all the Bible. Did you know this? The, The shortest one. Can you imagine how quickly you would get to lunch today if me and Rodney Priest were like this? This is, a, this is extraordinary stuff. I sat down this week trying to imagine how he said it. I wanted to sort of put myself in there and, and f- feel what that was like. What, what did he do? Did he, it's, it's so short, did he just like uh, mumble it under his breath and like hope that nobody heard because he really wants to stick it to him like 40 days and then it was going to be just, ah! and, then, and that was it? Did he, did he say it one time? I mean, it's, just, it's a big place, right? Did he say it once and then bounce because he checked it off his to-do list? Like, I paid my vow. Right? I'm, I'm actually wondering, is that how he did it? I don't know. I suspect not. This is just me uh, uh, thinking through what it might be like, but I suspect it wasn't like that. I think Jonah shouts this from the rooftops. That, that's my, my personal opinion. The text doesn't tell us, but I think he did that. I think that Jonah probably knows this is the last sentence I'm ever going to say before they kill me. That's it. And so I'm going to go out with a bang. That's, that's what, what I think. I think he loved saying it. I think as he said it, he was recalling to mind Genesis 19. I think he's saying it and he is thinking, then the Lord rained on Sodom and Gomorrah, brimstone and fire from the Lord out of heaven, and he overthrew those cities. It's the exact same verb as Jonah's sermon. Did you know that? Overthrow, that he overthrew those cities. Jonah, (laughs) Jonah is announcing God's overthrow of this wicked, vile, violent, pagan nation of them. He is pronouncing their overthrow. I think he's shouting it. And I think he misses it. I think he missed something when he said what he said. He said the words God gave him to say. We we know that because God said, hey, go and say the words that I'm giving you to say. So I think he said what God wanted him to say. I just think he missed what God meant. Because that word overthrow in the Hebrew, it doesn't always mean overthrow. Did you know that? Sometimes it does. But most of the time, it has another meaning. Actually, a very common meaning. Like in Deuteronomy 23, 5. But the Lord your God turned the curse into a blessing for you because the Lord your God loves you. Or 1 Samuel 10, 9, and then it happened that he turned his back to leave Samuel and God changed his heart. Same word. Same word as overthrow. This word doesn't just mean overthrow. It means to change to turn. God knew exactly what he was doing. Jonah didn't know that hidden inside God's message of judgment to the Ninevites was actually God's message of grace. Nineveh wasn't about to be overthrown. Nineveh was about to be changed. 
Look at verse five. And the people, he says the sermon and this happens. And the people of Nineveh believed God. In a billion years, no one would have saw that coming. Jonah was not seeing this coming. This verse should have read, and the people of Nineveh murdered Jonah. That's how that should have gone. But something, something unprecedented is happening here. Right? The, the, the people of Nineveh turn. The people of Nineveh change. They believed God. And not just like two or three of them. It's, as the French say, everybody. Everybody is believing that this message is true. It says from the greatest of them to the least of them. This isn't just a movement among the, the lower caste, like we got a few lepers on our team and, and now we're good to go. It's, it's the lowest class, the middle class, the high class, the, the cultural elites. They, they are all believing this message. This, this is unprecedented in the history of the Old Testament. Uh, this didn't happen for Isaiah. This didn't happen for Ezekiel. It didn't happen for Jeremiah. This happened to Jonah. No knucklehead like fool Jonah, he gets this. One commentator says this about it. With those five little words, Jonah, Jonah, Jonah becomes the most successful prophet in the entire canon of the Hebrew Bible. This guy, what is this? Everybody changes. The political class changes. It says that the king even believed. Look at verse six. The word reached the king of Nineveh, and he arose from his throne, removed his robe, covered himself with sackcloth, and sat in ashes. Hey, just newsflash for you. Kings don't act like this, especially Assyrian kings. They don't do this sort of thing. This is a man who's not trying to save face. He's humbling himself. He's getting low. This is unheard of. It is so crazy out there in Nineveh right now that even the animal are getting in on this. This is the weirdest thing in the whole book, I promise you. It's weirder than the fish. The king writes, let neither man nor beast, herd nor flock, taste anything. Let them not feed or drink water, but let man and beast be covered in sackcloth and let them, man and beast, call out mightily to God. What does that mean? I don't, the cows are getting dressed up, they're fasting from food, they're calling out to God. It's like a Chick-fil-A commercial going on right here in the text. And the point is clear, it's everybody. Everybody is in on this from the greatest to the least, no matter who it is. It's wild, now there is a word for this. When it's not just one or two people who turn to God, but like multiple people, like thousands of people, a region of people. There's a word for this. We call it revival. Revival. And, and when I say revival, I don't just mean like a, a sweaty guy in a tent on a Friday yelling at you with the Bible. That's not what I mean. I, when, when I say revival, what, what I mean by that is it's, it's a way to talk about when repentance, individual repentance, goes viral. If you want to think about revival, think about it like that. When individual repentance goes viral. And that's what we're seeing here. This is viral repentance happening in this pagan terrorist state. And in verse seven, the king writes a letter. This is fascinating. And, and he, he's basically outlining technique. 
He's writing a letter of how repentance should look like. This is a how-to guide that he writes out for the people on repentance. What should it look like? And I'll just ask us this. What should it look like in our life? The New Testament calls us to be a people who are continually in a posture of repentance. So it seems like it behooves us to figure out what this thing called repentance should be like. What's the nature of it? What, what, how should it be expressed in our life? Well, let's take some cues from, I never thought I'd say this, from the king of Nineveh and, and learn something about repentance. There's three things we see here from his writing. The first is this, that repentance always starts by mourning over sin. We mourn over sin. We mourn over sin. Look at this. Let neither man nor beast, herd nor flock, taste anything. Let them not feed or drink water. He calls for a fast. Now, fasting has always been a way to express your not okayness with the status quo. That's one way to think about fasting, that it's, it's, it's a way to express, I, I, it's not okay how things are. I'm, I'm gonna go without so that I can communicate something about my longing for God. I don't want this. I'm fasting from this so I can have you. That's really what, what fasting is at the core. So, so they're, they're fasting, but also it, further than that, verse eight says this, but let man and beast be covered in sackcloth. So, so there's an outfit that goes with this fasting. The, the, it's, it's sackcloth, it says. The practice was, um, it's an ancient expression of grief. That's really what, what this is. Sackcloth was like an itchy, sort of uncomfortable fabric, like a, like a potato sack that you would put on on your just raw skin, and, and it was doing all the things, the itchiness, the uncomfortableness, and you would do this as a external way to communicate something about your internal disposition. That's why you did this. You put this on to say something about what's happening inside you. I'm mourning, I'm uncomfortable, I'm grieving, I'm not okay, That's, th- this is hard. That's, that's, that's what he's calling his people to. We're about to communicate what we feel on the inside. We're gonna abstain from, from food and we're gonna put on things that communicate to the world and to our own hearts. This is hard, I'm not okay, I'm grieving over my sin. Is that how you think about your sin? Do you think about your sin? Does it keep you up at night at all? Like to, does it turn you over in your sleep at all to, to think about the ways that we offend the holy, beautiful, righteous God of the universe who made us to know him and honor him with all of our thought, words, and deed, and how far we fall from that. Does that keep you up at night? Does it inspire fasting for you and mourning for you? Is it a sackcloth kind of feeling for you? Or for you, is it a little bit more like cashmere? It's like, I'm okay, this, feels, this is good. I'm, I'm, I'm good where I'm at. That's not them. That's not what's happening in Nineveh. These people are mourning over sin. That's the first thing we see. Number two, we flee from evil. Mourn over sin and we flee from evil. We cause them to practice justice. Look at this. Let everyone turn from his evil way and from the violence that is in his hand. Now, this is a big thing to call these people to because remember, who are these people? They're monsters. This is a terrorist organization. They they oppress folks for a living. Like, evil is their career path. And now, in a moment, this nation 
they start seeing injustice waning. Uh, criminal activity begins to be curbed. Homicides start dropping in the city. This is not a God is my savior but not my Lord type of people. That's not what's happening here. They, they, the whole package, they, they get it. They're saying, we cannot seek the mercy of God and still be okay with how we're living. Do, do you understand? That's, that is an aspect of repentance. In fact, it's baked into the very definition of repentance. Repentance means, in the Old Testament, to turn, to turn away from. Did you know that? So, so they're saying, we have to change directions here, and we do. If it is not repentance if you are not running from evil. It's not repentance. It might be a lot of things, but that is not what God has in mind with repentance. They mourn over sin. They flee from evil. And the third thing, they cry out to God for mercy. They cry out for mercy. Let them call mightily to God, he says. That word mightily comes from a word in the Hebrew meaning strength or force. You know what he's saying? He's saying, put your back into it. This is not a phone at end time. This is not, we're not playing games. This isn't like a every other week in a confessional booth sort of thing. This is a you are crying out to the only one who can help you. You have no other options on the table, Nineveh. You just have him. He's your only hope, and so you cry out to him now. And he ends by saying this, verse nine, because who knows? God may turn and relent and turn from his fierce anger so that we might not perish. You know what I hear when I read that? I hear humility. Do you hear it? That is humility. There is not a drop of entitlement in a repentant heart. This is a people who is saying to God, we deserve whatever God is about to dish out. We deserve it. It's rightfully ours. Do you talk like that? Just in life, when you, when you think about life, the hardness of your life, uh, when, when you think about your sin, do you, do, you, do you think like this? Have you ever said, whatever's coming to me that's hard from God, it's fitting. Can we just be honest? We are an entitled people, aren't we? Can we, let's be real. This is, this is how we are Why? How dare God do that? Or how many times have you heard this? A loving God would never do that. Does anyone just ever say, I deserve every bad thing that's coming. Anything north of hell for me is grace to me. That's how a Christian talks. Oh, and he gives us so much more north of hell, doesn't he? But the posture of the Christian is I deserve the worst. So anything north of the worst, thanks. Talk like that. Oh, if we could be a people who are unentitled, who realize that everything good that we get from God is never owed its only grace. There's no entitlement in their request. It's humility, but it's also hope. It's hope because look at these words. They're pleading with God that he might turn 
from his fierce anger that they might not perish. They're full of hope that God is the type of God who would do this sort of thing. God, like God, God, I, I, I deserve whatever's coming, but, but when I look at you, I understand that you, you are just constantly oriented to, to bless people who don't deserve it. So I'm just gonna appeal to your mercy, even though I don't deserve it. This, this, this balance of humility and hope, this is real repentance. Look at the movement. When, what is repentance? We mourn over sin. We flee our evil and we cry out to God in humility and hope that he have mercy on us. That's repentance. And do you know, church, what God does when he sees repentance? God does what God always does every time he sees repentance. He gives grace. He gives grace. Verse 10, what a, what a verse. When God saw what they did, how they turned from their evil way. God relented of the disaster he said he would do to them and he did not do it. I don't know where you are with God today. I don't know if when you read this narrative you see yourself in Nineveh strong. Or maybe you don't see yourself at all in the people of Nineveh. You know, one of the one of the things the Bible is trying to convince us of constantly is that whether or not we're like Nineveh on our outside, every one of us is Nineveh in our heart. Every one of us. That's one of the things the Bible is adamant about. And can I just say this? This is a, a sobering thing. With every self-centered, self-serving, self-glorifying thought and action that you have in your life, we are heaping judgment on ourselves. A holy God cannot let Nineveh stand. He cannot do it. That's a sobering thought, isn't it? But don't miss what chapter three is finally saying because it's finally saying this, and God is a God who loves forgiving Ninevites. Yes, I'm a Ninevite, and also he loves forgiving me. That's how he's bent, that's how he's wired. Here's my invitation to you. It's the same invitation that's right here in the text of chapter three. If you repent, God will relent. That's chapter three. What is Jonah chapter three saying? If you repent, God will relent. Relent. I don't know if that's old news to you, new news to you, but it is the best news for you. If you repent, God will relent from his judgment on you. Oh, this, <laughs> this, and it's even better than what he gave to Nineveh because with Nineveh, he just promised no harm. But with everybody who trusts in him, he is, he is not just giving no harm to you, he promises to make you his family. He promises to do you good for eternity. That's the promise that you get from God. And you go, how is that possible? That that's what he could be extending me? 
Here's how it's possible, because 2,000 years ago, God looked at his son, Jesus the Christ, and he overthrew him instead of you. That's the only way this text makes sense. It's the only way the whole scope of the Bible makes sense. Because 2,000 years ago, Jesus Christ was overthrown in the first sense of the word by God so that you and I would not be overthrown but be changed. Isaiah 53 says it like this. It says, God laid on him the iniquity of us all. He took what was coming for the Ninevites. He took what was coming for everyone who trusts in the Savior and he put it on his son so that that word in the Hebrew wouldn't mean overthrow for you. It would mean changed. It would mean turned. This is God's gift for you today. I hope you feel like it's a gift. I hope somebody's hearing this and, and, and you can feel like it's possible for this weight to be lifted. It's possible for the judgment of God to be removed. It's possible. Turn. Repent, mourn your sin, flee evil, and run after God, pleading with him for the mercy extended to you at the cross of Jesus, and he will do it. If you repent, God will relent. It's God's gift to you today, and it's God's gift that he delivered by way of Jonah to the Ninevites here in chapter three. But we're not through. We're not through because remember, I said at the beginning that this gift, it ends up going two ways. It ends up going like this when it goes out. Now, what do I mean by that? Jo Jonah, Jonah preaches a sermon to the Ninevites. But in the end, the Ninevites end up preaching a sermon to Jonah. Now, what am I talking about? Well, just go with me for a moment. I, I, I want to step back. If, if you just look at this book as a whole, this, this moment in chapter three is remarkable in its scope, but it's not remarkable in its happening. This type of thing keeps happening in the book of Jonah. Have you picked up on that yet? This is just one string of moments like this after another, after another. Look at the, look, just follow the plot. Uh, chapter one, the pagan sailors and Jonah. Sailors, they fear the Lord. They offer sacrifices to Yahweh, but Jonah doesn't. Chapter three, the pagan Ninevites in Jonah, an entire city of 120,000 terrorists begin praying, fasting, seeking God's mercy, but Jonah doesn't. Even, have you noticed this? Even the non-humans in this book get it. They get it right. Have you realized that? Every, listen, every created thing mentioned in the book of Jonah does what God wants. The wind obeys him. The sea obeys him. A plant obeys him. The fish obeys him. A worm obeys him. You got cows holding a worship service. All of this while standing right beside them, there is God's prophet, God's own prophet from his own people, the, the very one who should be doing the obeying, who should be doing the repenting, the quickest, and he's what? He's resistant. He's unrepentant. He's hard-hearted. What's going on here? What's it trying to tell us? Everyone and everything in this story is doing what God wants them to do except the one person you'd expect to do what God wants them to do, the religious insider, the us, misses it. 
over and over. Every chapter misses it. The book of Jonah is a story about the thems who get it and the us's who continually don't. That's what keeps happening here. And look, I don't know how you see yourself. We all, every time we read something, we, we tend to like throw ourselves into the narrative and, and, and identify with, you know, people. And I don't know when, when you read this, how you identify, how you see yourself, but you should probably know if you're in this room this morning, or if you're watching at home, there's a much better chance that you're in the Jonah category than the Ninevite category, right? You're in a church right now, right? You, you, are you connecting the dots? As we, as we watch these Ninevites unwrap this package of God's grace and then they just fall over themselves to get it, there is a question being asked of us. It's, it's the challenge of this chapter, and it's this. Is your heart this fast to come to them? Is your, is your heart this, this quick to, to run to God, you who have access to him? You religious insider, you who grew up in the church, you who have 15 Bibles on your shelf at home, is your heart this quick to come? Or are you cold to the one that you say with all your might that you love? That's the punch of this chapter. Don't squander your access to God. Don't squander it. He is not a merit badge you pin on your chest and walk around going, look at me, I'm in the club. I'm one of the chosen ones, look at me. He is a God to be worshiped and feared and revered and treasured and delighted in and obeyed and repented to. He's that, not a merit badge. The gift this morning to all of us Jonas in here is this, it's the call to see and enjoy his grace afresh, just like these outsiders, just like these Ninevites. I remember being confronted with this so profoundly 15 years ago. Uh, I, was, uh, I was 20 at the time and I got booked to uh, play a, a, a show in Florida at something called Celebrate Recovery. You guys heard of Celebrate Recovery in here? It, uh, if you haven't heard of it, it it's, a, it's an awesome ministry that, that basically it, uh, it exists for people with all sorts of addictions uh, to come and in Jesus' name get free from those addictions. So pornography addicts, sex addicts, uh, drug and alcohol addicts, all these folks, uh, any addict can come to this thing and get ministered to and get free in Jesus' name uh, to, to walk free from their addiction. So I was invited as a 20-year-old to come and speak and give my uh, just infinite m amount of wisdom and knowledge on the topic of uh, freedom from uh, heroin addiction. So I, I, uh, I show up and I'm like, yeah, I would, I would love to... to <laughs> give you nothing, really. And I, I roll up to the, the church, and, and I remember right before we walk in, I just see like a, a line of like 45 Harley Davidsons right there in the front, and I just go, oh, man, this is, okay, here we go. So I, I walk in the, the building, and it's, I'm just staring at like 
it's just, it, they're Philistines. They're like, they're the, the Nephilim. It's just 10 feet tall people everywhere. Just, just leather clad, just tattoos, just spider tattoos up the neck, just big old beards. And you should have seen the men. The men, they were, uh, it, was, it was so wild. And I get in there and I'm just like, I, I live in the suburbs and I sit in the, the pew and I'm standing there waiting. They had a worship leader who was gonna get up before me to, to lead some songs and then I was gonna get up. I was like, I can't believe, I, I'm barely shaving. And, uh, and, uh, and then he starts uh, to lead a song and everything changes. As, the, as these songs of praise start going out over the speakers, I watch a room full of the toughest people I have ever seen completely melt. And now I'm watching people weep and sob almost uncontrollably, raising their hands in worship, crying out to God, saying things like, why me? I don't deserve this. Why would you... How, how can this be for me? And they're, and they're ringing out the praises of God and I just remember standing there. I started crying as I'm watching this scene unfold and I just remember watching these people, these, these folks who are on the fringes, these, these other thans, these outsiders, the, the thems, I watched them get it. I watched them run so quickly and so passionately to God. I just couldn't help feeling convicted knowing that I so seldom see this in the circles I run in. And I so seldom see this in my own heart. And I don't know about you, but I just, I don't want to have an outsider's heart being a religious insider. I don't want that. Do you want that? I, I want a heart that knows my access to him and savors it, that I'm the first to bow down, I'm the first to obey. And I was put to shame by this group of people who taught me what it means to throw themselves onto Christ in repentance and worship. And I want that for me and I want that for you. Some of us in this room, we're that that camp. We are the religious insiders. And you know what God's calling you to right now? He's calling you to, to plead for a tender heart again. You've grown stale and hard and disinterested, and these holy things that we interact with all the time have become so common. Plead for a soft heart, a feeling heart again. Repent of wearing God like a merit badge. He's not that and actually seek him. The Ninevites' repentance is a gift to you and to me. Let's open it and worship him sincerely. Amen? Let's pray to him. Let's pray to him. Father, uh, there, this text covers such a spectrum of people the outsiders and the insiders. And I, I don't know everybody I'm talking to. I don't know where they fall on that spectrum, but I pray you would deal with each of us right where we're at. That if we've just been living wildly, that we would have the sober sense that our sins are paid by God's judgment unless we repent. 
that we need Christ. I pray for, for people right now who are hearing this, that they would cast themselves on the mercy of a God who, though he hates sin, he is so bent on showing mercy to sinful people. God, would you grant repentance like you say in 2 Timothy 2? Would you grant repentance this morning? And God, for those of us who are on the other side of the spectrum, we are so accustomed to this stuff that it doesn't even spark our affection anymore. God, would you change us? Would you warm our hearts again? We don't wanna be insider people with outsider hearts. We don't want that. We wanna come soft to you. We wanna treasure the fact that we have access to the living God. Grant us that. As we sit, we're about to sing. God, I pray that you would put it in our bones to sing these songs like people who've been hit fresh with the grace of God. I, I once was lost, now I'm found. And, and that might have been a while back, but it's still fresh and I'll be singing this into eternity. So thankful, so thankful for you. God, give us that kind of heart as we pray, as we sing. You are worthy of every song. We love you, we worship you. In Jesus' name.